0: I'm Evan Smith of the Texas Tribune, and this is Point of Order, a podcast about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the people and politics and traditions of the 87th Texas Legislature. This week, back to school. At the top of the agenda as the House and Senate settle in for their 2021 convening is pass a budget in balance, something that seems easier now that the controller has told us the sky apparently isn't falling after all. Next is redraw the lines around congressional and legislative districts, an exercise that seems likelier by the day to keep us all around into the summer. And close behind that is sufficiently cover the costs of public education. The first of those to-dos is constitutionally required every session. The second is an every 10 years obligation. And the third, well, if you want to talk about school finance and the Texas Constitution, we're going to need a much longer podcast. This is a subject that has bedeviled lawmakers of both parties and taken up residence in the legal system for the better part of 50 years and it would still be a source of frustration and litigation had it not been for the work of the 86th legislature and the near unanimous passage of House Bill 3. Anytime anything is referred to as historic, you can be sure it almost certainly isn't. But this came close. Finally, after years of goals set and unmet, And of metaphorical guns put to the heads of elected officials by courts and voters, real progress was made in overhauling the way we pay for this crucial public good, how we compensate teachers, how we provide full-day pre-K, the per-student allotment given to schools and school districts, all the while reducing the burden on local property taxpayers. It was, in the estimation of all but the most hard-hearted observers, a victory. On the day he signed HB3 into law, Governor Greg Abbott said it does, quote, more to advance education in the state of Texas than any law that I have seen in my adult lifetime, unquote. There was only one pitch. It was a two-year fix. No appropriation, certainly not an $11.6 billion appropriation, as HB3 was, is a sure thing in the next budget cycle. Which means the fate of the 86th legislature's celebrated reforms We're always going to be in the hands of the 87th. And that brings us to this week's guest. State Senator Larry Taylor recently re-upped as chair of the Senate Education Committee. A Friendswood Republican, he was one of the architects of HB3. And he's committed to not letting all that good work go to waste. Of course, funding public ed isn't the only issue in his viewfinder. So are the profound impacts of the coronavirus pandemic learning loss, enrollment drops, and access to broadband, along with the fight over reopening schools. Chairman Taylor and his colleagues surely have their hands full, as he told me on the morning of Monday, January 25th, day 14 of the 140. Point of Order is supported by QuaverEd.com makers of high-quality educational resources for music, health, dual-language pre-K, and more. And by the Association of Texas Professional Educators. With nearly 100,000 educator members around the state, ATPE works collaboratively to create better opportunities for Texas public school students. And Harmony Public Schools, a network of award-winning STEM-focused public charter schools that serve more than 36,000 students across Texas. And the Texas Classroom Teachers Association, representing teachers and other non-administrative educators across the state since 1927. And Raise Your Hand Texas, whose new podcast, Intersect Ed, is where the stories of Texas public education policy and practice meet. So let's get the big one out of the way, since I know it's what people are tuning into here. Are you going to be able to find the eleven point six billion dollars again?
1: Yes. Yeah. In fact, if you've seen the Senate version of the budget that's put out, it's fully funding House Bill three and the education commitments that we made last session. And right. and really, if you look at it and everyone I've spoken with or heard from all leadership, other members I've spoken to, they are all unanimous, uh, unanimously supporting what we did in House Bill 3 and making sure that that continues. You know, COVID's kind of caused some issues on some of the things we were doing in House Bill 3 and slowed some of it down. But the the commitment is still there to carry on with that. It's too important for our state.
0: Well, the fact that everybody is for it is not the same as there being the money to pay for it. So two questions on that. First of all, you believe the money is there. And second of all, is that number the right number? Is, Is that the number needed to make everybody and everything from the last session whole?
1: Well, you know, based on the revenue estimate given us to, by the comptroller, which is what we have, what we used to, for our spending, uh, those numbers are there. We you know, actually got, you know, as bad news as below what it was in, in years past, but it was much better than anybody had expected back in July. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, being down a billion dollars in a budget, our size is you know, it's still a problem, but it's not insurmountable. We We, we have certainly faced larger shortfalls in years past well this is not 2011
0: right i mean the fact is you you were expecting something maybe not as bad as 2011 but when the comptroller came in and said basically the sky's not falling you guys were like great and we were all like great right
1: yeah well 2011 you know 17 billion and really back in may june july we really didn't know what what it was going to be this time we knew the economy had gone uh gone south in a bad way um And so we knew that was not looking good, but uh, sales taxes continued on. Unfortunately, you know, for our local retailers, it wasn't necessarily being done at the local level. It was being done with Internet sales. But we had fortunately done that Wayfair uh, decision and used that to use uh, to start uh, taxing Internet sales. And that really saved us. States like Florida had not done that. And their sales tax obviously took a real big hit.
0: So the money is available. If you need money, it's there. But my question is, how do you know that's the number? Do you know that's the number? Well, number I mean,
1: 0.6. well, we have to fund uh, enrollment growth. And, you know, right now, our, some of our schools are showing a, a reductions in numbers with some of the kids missing. But, you know, we're, we're estimating you know, a, 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 another increase in our total enrollment. And, you know, they've got about $3 billion in the budget already for that. Uh, so I, I think the money's going to be there to do what we've committed to do.
0: Yeah. How much of this is leadership uh, putting a flag in the ground as it did uh, last time? You know, when the revenue estimate came out back on the I think it was the 11th, the lieutenant governor, the presiding officer of the Senate, put out a press release that said, in part, we will maintain the historic funding increases in education from last session, as well as teacher pay increases. Not we'd like to, not we'll try to. We will he was willing to say it in a way that sounded like it guaranteed it. And I suppose if that message comes from the top, all of you from the chair of the Education Committee on down, have your marching orders. Right.
1: Well, like I say, this started way back during you know last summer. People yeah. were already saying that between the governor, uh, then speaker, the people on the House side, on the appropriation side, the Senate, everyone has been committed as best we could. Now, we didn't know what the number was going to be, but we we're going to do everything we could to make sure we, we fulfill those commitments. And and now with the, the budget picture the way it is, I feel very confident we're going to be able to do that.
0: Right, no reason not to if the money's available, right? If right, exactly. Right. And,
1: and I don't, I, say, I don't think you're going to see a fight over, you know, whether we should cut here or there on education. I think everyone is fully in on what we did last session. And like I said, yeah. we haven't had a chance to fully see the benefits of some of those things because of covid and what's happened, but we're going to press on and make sure we get this yep. done. We don't want this, you know, this temporary health crisis to become a generational education crisis. So we're going to make sure that we get this done.
0: You, you said at an event in December, I heard you say, and I you repeated a version of it a couple of minutes ago, that the timeline has been delayed on a number of the measures within House Bill 3. What exactly got delayed by the weird last year we've had?
1: Well, there was a number of programs we were doing, but I mean, just look at some of the basic things we've done uh, that we've been doing for years, like A through F, a, th- a through F with our changes, we made a lot of that's based on growth, not just uh, attainment. Well, we didn't have an A, th- we didn't have a star test last year. Yep. It's going to be difficult to do a star test this year with a number of students, you know, still uh, doing uh, virtual learning. I right. can't do the star test virtually. Uh, we, we do a small number of students every year that you're homebound, where they have a proctor actually come out and pr- do the test, but with the numbers of students we have out now, that's obviously not possible. So there's some some issues like that we've had uh, you know going for a while. But you know teacher uh, pay, you know with the incentive pay, a lot of that's based on you know how the students are doing, and that those things are are not available. Uh, it's not fully based on that, but there's, it's just been such a strange year in so many ways. Uh, right. It's hard to recount all the things we did in HB three that have been held up, but there's just been a number of things that we have, you know, we're planning on being further along. One of the things that has probably sped up is, and I think we've already heard this from TA, is the ability to do the STAR test online. And now we have so many more devices, And with all the the expenditure on getting one-to-one devices for every student in Texas. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. There were a lot of schools that were nowhere there. We we still got, you know, probably a, um, a large number of students who still don't have online at home, but they've got devices. We've made great progress in getting more technology in the classroom.
0: Is it possible, Chairman, because things were delayed, that as a result, there'll be savings in the current budget cycle against that $11.6 billion? In other words, you had appropriated it, you intended to spend it, but you couldn't have predicted the circumstances. So since some things have been delayed, maybe in the end, the price tag will be lower. And as a result, maybe that's one of the reasons that the shortfall in the current budget cycle ends up not being quite as bad as it could have been.
1: Yeah, Evan, that, that's possible. But I, yeah, I'd have to go back and look at every program. And I, I don't really know that. You know, we're going to start the budget process starting in uh, February. and We'll hear from yep. the TA and, and we'll have more details of those kind of things. So I w- I'd hate to make those kind of conjectures at this point.
0: Right. Well, you know, I have no problem making conjectures because I'm a I journalist, know. right? I and, mean, you know.
1: and, and you have no problem asking tough questions either. <laughs> well, we'll
0: see. Let, let's see if they're actually that tough. or not. I hope they will be tough. Um, hey, have you done a, an audit to the degree that you've been able to, to see whether the assumptions you made baked into making HB3 happen turned out to be the right assumptions. Have you been able to determine in any way, you know, we thought these things were the right calls, and it turns out that they were, or is it too soon to know?
1: Well, you have to, once again, understand with COVID, we were not able to have all the interim hearings that we normally would have. I I basically was uh, tasked with working with a working group, yeah. Uh, kind of an informal thing we obviously couldn't take actions. we didn't have testimony you know a lot of other than just a few people invited to come speak to our group on particular issues and that was primarily dealing with COVID specifically on how we handle that how we you know open close how we get back going again so we really just we were very limited we we had like a couple three hearings over the whole you know inter- interim of a year and a half and normally we would have had a lot more hearings than that and we would have dug a lot deeper into those issues so you know, it's Right. It's really been a, uh, we've been hamstrung on this, this whole thing through COVID. It's affected the legislative process as far as the interim hearings and that. So I, I really can't uh, go through and, and and name one thing after another on that that kind of issue.
0: Yeah. Um, all of this leads me to believe, Chairman, uh, when you head into this session and the work of the Education Committee, whether it's on the funding issue or some others that we'll talk about shortly, Is your disposition that you're playing defense or are you playing offense? Are you all about HB3 and protecting what you have? Or are you expecting that there will be a new book of business for the committee in addition to protecting everything that happened last session?
1: Well, once again, with COVID and the restrictions we're going to be under for the foreseeable future for this session, uh, our, our workload, as far as the number of bills we'll be hearing, is going to be less. Pretty small, when, right? Yeah. yeah when you think about the fact that every hearing we have, we have to have another hearing room used as an overflow. That right. means there's half as many hearings going on. So we're going to be limited in how many times we'll be actually able to meet, yeah. which is going to obviously uh, affect how many bills we hear. But, the and I was just talking, you know, some other my colleagues have worked on education with me from the house. It's going to be a slower session for education based, based purely on what all we did last session. That was a huge session for education. Right. Monumental. Right uh and you know there's some cleanup that was a big bill very technical technical a highly complex high, highly complex and there's some cl- some cleanup that we'll be working on house bill three and we've had some discussions on those issues but they are been just kind of rounding off sharp edges there's nothing major yeah. we're not transforming anything we've done the transformation now we just have to make sure that, that we have you know a real good uh carry through on what we put in that bill
0: i'm glad you brought up the cleanup because i wanted to ask about that you know Even with a bill as massive as that bill and as ambitious as that bill, surely there were things that didn't go exactly, you know, as you look back on it, as you would have preferred they go if you had known what you know now, you know, rounding sharp edges, or maybe there were some things that were inadvertently left out of that bill. Can you mention one or two of the things that you're thinking about related to cleanup? or kind of a, a mulligan on HB3 that maybe you spend time thinking about this time. Just name
1: one or two or three of those. Well, well, well one thing, we wisely knew that this was a highly complex bill. It was over 300 pages, very yeah. technical. And we left it with the commissioner, some, some abilities to, to fill in some of the gaps or smooth off some of the red, rough edges during the interim. If, if he found things that were already going on that we obviously wouldn't be in session to fix. Uh, you know, special education the maintenance of effort—we have we have to keep that up. Yep. Uh, there's some some questions on P-TECH and career tech uh, CTE allotments for for small and mid-sized districts that, that didn't fit exactly way we had, had anticipated. So there's a number of things we're going to go back and and probably put into law what he did during the interim, mm-hmm. uh, as well as some other things that he wasn't able to do or didn't do that we need to go back on. But it's, but it's a you know it's a small number. It's not going to be a huge bill like House Bill Three was to start with. Uh, yep. Overall, I think it's been very well received. Uh, you know, I've heard from districts all across the state they appreciate what we did. And I don't get a lot of complaints on House Bill 3, to be honest with you. But there are some areas where you know, the formulas are just so complex. Yep. Uh, you know, Working with the, the top people at TA, there's still some things we miss. But you know, you're working down to crunch time at the end. It's taking them a day and a half to run you know, our what-if scenarios. It would take about a day and a half to run that through the process. People don't realize how complex that thing is that you start getting into. You pull a little string here, about four strings get pulled on the other side. And it's quite right. an ordeal. But yeah, I don't like I say it's nothing major. I'm, I'm right. sure for some of the districts who may have been on the wrong side of some, they, they consider it very. But for a statewide perspective, this will be yep. things that I think we can fix pretty easily.
0: Well, and, and another thing that you didn't say, but of course is true, is everybody has an opinion about this also. And everybody wants their opinion to be heard. And everybody wants to be loudest in expressing their opinion. So you make a change, you pull one string, you've got people all over the state who have an opinion about that string and how you pulled it, right? Welcome to the education committee. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, right. Um, you mentioned the commissioner, chairman. Let me ask you straight away, what kind of a job is Commissioner Morath doing? It's pretty a uh, pretty much an unenviable job or it seems to be from the outside at the moment. Everybody is shooting arrows at him. What kind of a job do you think he's doing?
1: I, I, I have to give the highest commendations to our, to our uh, commissioner. I mean- He is, you know, with House Bill 3, the leadership he provided, the experience he had, his depth of knowledge and his his wanting to know and dig deeper than I don't know of any other commissioner in, in years past that I've known that would have been able and capable of doing the things that he was able to do with House Bill 3. And then to switch gears and to go into COVID, as you say, it's a, you can't make everyone happy in that situation, but he certainly did it with the students in mind, every decision I think he made. Yeah. was what's best for the students. And I think that's what you need from a commissioner of education is the bottom line is how is this going to be best for our students? What can we do to make sure they keep their educational success at the highest levels we can attain?
0: Yeah. Well, it's also the, certainly the case that there was no playbook for this, right? Nobody no, had no. a playbook for the pandemic in terms of how you deal with
1: education. And he and everybody else has had to make it up as they go. Well, right? worse than that, we weren't just having to make up how to handle it. The data was changing. You know, the information was changing as we were going through the process. So it was a matter of, okay, here's what we need to do. And then all of a sudden the, we'd kind of get a little different information. and how do we adjust to that? If you yep. remember when this thing started, people had no idea. And some of the original prognostications were, you know, terrible. Uh, and so, you know, people want to go back and play armchair quarterback. It's very difficult when you're told initially so some of the numbers we were told. Yeah, uh, But it's it's been a very – but I think he has done a commendable job. I, I – mean, there's no perfect job that could be done during this because no one had all the information and what, whichever side you pick, because the, the opinions were so strong. Uh, I, I, I tell people there's about a third of the people were scared to death, didn't want to leave home. A third of the people were OK with getting out and about as long as other people did the precautions. And then there were a third of people going, why are we doing anything? So you pick any decision on that spectrum, you're going to make a whole bunch of people unhappy. Two thirds of the
0: people are going to be unhappy. Right. Yeah.
1: It was an unwinnable situation as far as it goes. Right.
0: So you mentioned a couple of topics as we were speaking generally about HB3, and I thought I would get into them with you. You know, I've been talking to educators over the last couple of weeks thinking I might have the opportunity to sit down with you. And I said, if you were talking to Chairman Taylor right now, what would you want to know? And so. I've, I've kind of gotten my head straight on the things that people are talking about out there in the world. I want to ask you about a couple of those, beginning with accountability. You mentioned the A through F and you mentioned the star test. Do you agree with the decision to pause the A through F rating during the pandemic? Is that
1: right decision? Well, we had to. I mean, uh, the A through F doesn't work when when a large percentage of that is based on growth. We didn't even have a test last year. Right. So otherwise, you'd just be doing it based on attainment. If you remember, we rolled out A through F, all the the you know the the dissenters were saying well this is just going to measure the high the high performing district to all be you know high income no low income students and that's not what turned out because the way we designed it was you know the schools don't get to pick the students that they have but we should be judging how well they do with the students that they have and that's why we included growth as such a large percentage of that so without that growth figure a through f is not what we designed it to be so we really can't use it but it's very important i think that People understand. We still need to take it to see where we are. I mean, after a thing like this, you need to know where your students are and what so, we so can it, do to it, get them. It back. in the
0: case, it in the case is the STAR test, Chairman. Pardon? Yeah, it the STAR the test. Case. I'm sorry. yes. Yeah. So, so that's that is sort of the second part of this, uh, which, which is we're still admi- as I understand it, we're still administering the STAR test, not to count toward a rating,
1: but for benchmarking purposes, right? To determine how much has been lost. Is that right? It, Exactly. And see where these students are and where we need yeah. to work and what we can do. And and also to measure how well, you know, we were able to do during this. Some school districts are going to show that they did pretty well. Yeah. And some are probably not going to do it. But we can find out what the ones did, did that did well and, yeah. and share that information with other districts. Once again, this is about improvement for the whole state. So if but you have no, some but no district,
0: but no district will suffer in any way B. Be, be dunked on in any way as a result of whatever you find. See, I had, I had a superintendent, uh, one in particular, tell me that he isn't necessarily opposed to there being a star test this year, although he's not a fan of the test generally, but he thinks the data will be worthless, that it will simply reflect the abnormality of the circumstances that we're in, which, of course, we already know that it's an abnormal yeah. time and that it really will not in the end be a useful measure, but that somehow the data later or, or now will end up being used to penalize districts even though we say it's not going to happen that somehow this superintendent is a little paranoid that the data is going to get out and that the district will be judged in some way
1: well there's no ramification from the state for students or for the the districts on uh, yeah. campuses because our system's not set up to skip years and do all that so it's going to take a couple of years to get this thing back on back on track right So you think, again, the benchmarking aspect of this is a positive thing because at least
0: you see what has been lost and you're able to identify in a couple of cases the places that did better than expected. Maybe there are some best practices to be rolled forward from that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Okay. let me ask you about hold harmless. I think this is probably the thing that I've heard from most people about over the last couple of weeks. The idea that even with drops in enrollment and attendance the there are people in the education community who say that schools should be able to maintain their funding levels you saw i'm sure the letter signed by i think it was more than 80 members of the texas house steve allison the republican from san antonio was the main signer of this but there were republicans and democrats bipartisan letter to commissioner morath at the very end of last year asking that the state guarantee funding levels through the remainder of the school year to extend Hold Harmless into the spring semester. I think as we're sitting here today, Chairman, that has not been decided whether it's gonna happen or not. Correct. Um, And you know what what the issue is. Steve Allison wrote in this letter, our schools must have continued flexibility and financial security to continue to provide academic instruction and programs while adjusting to the ongoing challenges caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. They're just freaked out about whether they're gonna have to give a bunch of money up and school districts and education advocates have sent similar letters. Are they right to be concerned?
1: Well, that issue was going to be discussed quite a bit early on in session, obviously, because they need to know fairly quickly. But, uh, you know, uh, overall statewide, our, our enrollment is down about 2.3%. Right. And these are kids that the early on we heard them referred to as into the wind. The school district can't find these kids. And, they, you know, they were enrolled. COVID hit, they went to spring break, and then these kids never came back. Uh, You know, and uh, there have been efforts to try to reach these kids, but our our system is designed and funded based on average daily attendance on kids being in school. Um, Forty percent of that enrollment decline is actually pre-K and kindergarten, which are, you know, really voluntary. These are not statutory required attendance. So 40% of that 2.3%, and and we realize when I say 2.3 statewide, not every district has lost kids. Right. Uh, some about a third of them have seen an increase in empl- in, in district in attendance. So so some of the ones that are actually losing are probably more like in the you know higher four to five percent, which is probably pretty substantial for those districts. I I think I read in H uh, I S D Houston I S D recently they're like 13,500 students. They don't know where they are. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know what all efforts have been made to find those kids, but you know this has been going on since last, uh, you know, last spring, and so we've had the whole semester, and we're now in the, into through the holidays, and now we're well into the the second semester. I mean, we'll find out some of these kids may move to other districts and those kind of things, and the state yeah. certainly shouldn't be paying for them twice, but that'll be taken care of in the settle up that comes in September. But I know in budgeting in the budgeting process, they need to. Have an idea now, but but I think it's also important to know you we know, we we have funding to fully fund. We did House Bill Three, and I'm not sure what what the other funding levels we have as far as the hold harness at this point. That once again we we've got uh, an estimate from the comptroller. We've got two different budgets from the House, and those are merely starting points that we start working on. But you know, the the, the local ISDs also have reserves. And, you know, and the minimum we require is like 90 days. Right, but the, the local life.
0: ISDs would tell you that a cash reserve is not like a savings account that you can just dip into for this purpose. They would say that actually, that that's kind of a bit of a of a uh, a misdirection to suggest that, well, they should simply solve the problem out of the reserve. I mean, look, I'm not hearing from you, Chairman, a lot of sympathy from the for, for these districts. I mean, they're, they would say, if you don't hold us harmless, we're gonna have to cut our budgets. Is that the right thing to do? to let a bunch of people go because that's inevitably what we're going to have to do. Well, it's not the right thing to do with cha- with the challenges on our plates coming out of the
1: pandemic. Well, we'll, we'll have that discussion, but I'm not sure why they say they shouldn't be able to, use, or shouldn't use reserves for this. That's what reserves are for. We require a 90 day reserve. And the last numbers I have are from like the 18, 19 year. Yeah. And the the cumulative, uh, Districts all across, state had over $6.6 billion in excess reserves over that nine days. And, you know, I'm sorry, over 110 days. We actually gave them a little bit of a fudge factor over the ninety. And so they, they have as much as almost as much as we have in our rainy day fund in their funds. And that's for right. rainy days such as this. Uh, but,
0: could, but of course, you could decide to go into your savings account rather than make them go into theirs. Just right. understanding or, the circumstances or, that have affected them on the
1: ground, couldn't you? Or it could be shared. But, but the most important thing is we need to find out what's happened to these students. The idea that we have that number of students who have disappeared is, is a little scary. I mean, what's happened to those kids? And I think we really need to have an effort to find those kids. And I I hate to, you know, you you can look at other sides of this. If you just say, okay, we're going to hold everybody harmless, does that take away the incentive to go find these kids? And what levels have they gone to find these kids?
0: Uh, Chairman, uh, whose decision is this ultimately going to be to extend hold harmless through the end of the school year? Is it going to be yours in the legislature? Is it going to be TEA's and the commissioners? Whose decision is it? It'll be leadership.
1: You know, the commissioner generally. What, what is that?
0: What does leadership mean? What does that mean? Because
1: because well, we can't wait for the whole legislative session, obviously, because that doesn't that stuff will get done probably in May when we may get the budget done. Yeah. Uh, now, probably not early enough even for budget. The budget process is going on now at local districts. So this is probably be done at a leadership level with, you know, with discussions with the House leadership. Yeah, I mean, the because the, the, the districts
0: would tell you that they need to know pretty much in the next 30 days because they're yeah, waiting exactly. to make budget decisions. So yes or no, you are for extending hold harmless, Chairman Taylor, leader of this committee. You are for it or you are against it today.
1: I, I'm not going to tell you I'm for or against it. I'm looking, I'm, I want to get information. We've not had a chance to gather and have those discussions. We will do those very quickly. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think the commission will do it on his own. I think he'll do it in conjunction with leadership working together on that. I mean, it, like I said, this is just me talking. I haven't talked to anybody about this, but it might be a shared deal. Yeah. Uh, we could do all of it or we might do none of it. I, I don't know that. I don't really want to commit to that one way or the other because I've not had those discussions with my, you know, who the House members are going to be on that, that discussion. The Speaker, I've not had those discussions uh, with Lieutenant Governor. I mean, it, this is just, it would be very premature for me to take a position at this point without hearing from all sides. Yeah, And I, and I, you know, I do need to hear from the school district. Well, where are these kids? What have you done to f- try to find them? How do we know they haven't moved to some other part of the state and are you know, enrolled in a school district there? And then they're now, effectively
0: the, the, double counted, right?
1: Yeah. And the kindergarten and pre-K kids. I mean, a lot of those parents I heard from them early on, we heard that a lot when it went virtual, yep. they didn't see value for their little pre-K kid or their, their kindergarten student. And they just said, well, we're just going to take a year off of That's like, some people jokingly call it the gap year. Gap year, They right, just yep. take it early on. But yeah, you know, and those kids are coming back, uh, but they're not there now, and so it's yeah, you know, it's it's a difficult issue. But I'm not yeah. going to commit one or the other at this point. We're going to be discussing that, and we'll come up with a, a decision. You know, you you know, using uh, discussion like I just described. Uh, Chairman, do you think, just generally speaking, that schools should have been open all this
0: time, or that more schools should have been open? And who do you think should have made those decisions? I mean, there's a lot of controversy about, you know, the. Just sort of those whip whiplashing, you know, we're open, we're not open, we're, you know, well, the numbers are spiking, so we have to actually pull back. Do you think that we should have just kept the schools open?
1: Well, once again, uh, we talked about the spectrum issue. We also talked about the data and the information we were given, how it changed. So no, I don't think it should have been open all the time. Cause now I could say, you know, maybe looking back, maybe, but it's just hard to go back and armchair quarterback those kind of decisions. I, I think for the most part, people made the best decisions they could. I think. We found, you know, as we got further into COVID, that students really weren't as affected by it as most adults. They weren't good carriers of it. That kind well, of well, you mean affected by the, the virus,
0: not that there were not right. that there weren't consequences of the situation that we are in. We'll come to that in a little bit, but but I mean, maybe you're saying the students weren't affected by the virus per se.
1: Well, right? not as much. I mean, it's very rare for a student to really get sick from from this. We've had some cases, but it's extremely rare compared to their general population. They obviously are. They've obviously been proven not to be. I'm sorry. They've been proven not to be as good at carriers, and yep. most of the kids who have gotten it have gotten it at home, not from classmates, and that at school. So, I, I am leaning to, that schools should be open more now. And unfortunately, what we've seen, and you know, we, all of House Bill Three was about closing gaps, right? Closing yep. the gaps for our, for low income students versus their peers, and unfortunately. A lot of our urban districts have been the ones that are keeping these kids at home. And we're gonna have another gap to deal with as well as a connectivity gap. Um, so we've got some real issues coming out of COVID to really get a handle on this thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I think it is particularly the lower grades, uh, it's very important for these kids to have face to face. Yeah. Uh, and I think we can use technology in the future to try to catch up. You know, we use technology to fill in for basic education, but now that we're going to get back into schools with the vaccines and get more back to normal, now we're going to have to use that technology to help these kids get caught up, whether it's self-study at home during the summer, or in the evenings, whatever.
0: So, Chairman, let me ask you about the the question of, of using virtual as a stopgap or as a way to get back and all that. You've been somebody who I remember going back a number of years have been interested in virtual education. You were kind of interested in this subject before a lot of other people were. How do you think this has gone so far? Has has virtual education online been a positive mostly during all this?
1: Well, COVID has certainly been an educational experience. I mean, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, we we've learned some things that are good, and we've learned a lot of bad things, right. uh, and so. The idea of getting all these devices out, as you know, I've been pushing for that. Right, the idea of getting yeah, right. uh, internet connectivity has been something I've been working on. You know, go back to our E-Rate program, we did a couple sessions ago to get 98. You know, we're now over 98% of our districts have internet broadband. Uh, now we find out we've got to, you know, get it to the homes as well to really fulfill this thing. And we're working on, it. I think we're probably a million shy of that for students that don't have internet connectivity at home. And a number of districts have done some very innovative things to get that. But the beauty of this is, I think this is gonna change education in the future. And we're, now that we've seen it and experienced it, even though we've experienced the bad, we can make that better uh, by one, not having it be 100% for most people. Now, some kids thrived on the internet in a virtual classroom. I mean, I had teachers tell me they had kids who never participated in a typical classroom, but once they went virtual, they were all in and did extremely well. And there are some kids who have behavioral issues, I think right. this can be very helpful. You know, we talk about alternative discipline arrangements for these students where they go off campus and, they, and we end up losing them and, they, and it'll be the pipeline to prison. Well, now those students could still stay with their class. They don't have to be falling behind. Right. They may be doing it in another classroom. But,
0: but you also know that there are for those students you've just mentioned. And let's hope that, in fact, it's been positive in those cases. You know that there are a bunch of students who've had a harder time with
1: this. Right? Oh, this no. Is- hey, no. That's part of the, the bad experience, in particular, the younger ages. Yeah, uh, it was very difficult for them to sit there. You know, if you're seven or eight years old, sitting there in front of a computer for several hours, that's just not a good situation. Right. Um, but right. but but they could do little snippets like for, if a kid's sick just for a day or for a week, the, the idea that they can keep up with their class at home versus falling behind. know, mononucleosis, the kids would be out for two weeks. Right.
0: But they could still be online during that period.
1: But they could still be online and keeping up. And so I I just find this, and and here's my other thing. You know, we always talk about the summer slide, and we've had the COVID slide we're dealing with now, but the summer slide we still have. But you could give these, there's a lot of really fun games, particularly these younger kids, where they can learn their alphabet and numbers. We have kids showing up. That's part of the pre-K movement was try to get kids caught up to where they started, that same starting point. But even during the summer, those kids can do those fun games, have a, have a goal or have a contest among their students. So during the summer, they just do something every now and then to keep kind of caught up with what they were working on.
0: Would you agree, uh, Chairman, that every kid is different and every uh, community <laughs> is different, and as a consequence of that, these uh, uh, tools, these virtual tools, probably need to be tailored.
1: Oh, uh, but I had three kids, and every one of them is different. So yeah, every one I, of them I, is different. Right. They're all totally different, and I understand you know. Now, with my statewide perspective as being chair of the education committee for a number of sessions, I have a much better perspective. They are definitely different. But that's the beauty of this. By bringing technology into a, a regular classroom environment, right. you, can, you can design it. But here's one of the things I've also pushed is self-paced. These kids learn in different ways and yep. different paces. We've right. been working on this artificial deal. You've got a certain number of days. All right, time's up. What'd you get? Okay, you got a 75. You move to the next level. Well, what do we know about a kid who gets a 75? They've got a 25 percent deficit in that subject matter. And yeah. now you want to build the next level on top of that. And then we wonder why kids can't pass algebra, two after going through a series of these things. So I think we can use technology with teachers trained to use it to its highest and best potential to get the best for all of our students.
0: Well, it sounds to me, Chairman, like you're you're now you are for local control. You're for local school districts being given the flexibility to do the things that work for them and for their communities, allowing them to innovate, as opposed to trying to aggregate all of this in one cookie cutter,
1: one size fits all plan. Is that right? I would disagree with your statement. Now I'm for local control.
0: Well, I don't mean you now. I mean, the royal you like now. we're I mean, we, we, we we all say local. Well, so you so you are for you are for the idea of local school districts having the latitude at their level to make decisions that are right for their communities.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I always have been, but, but there still has to be oversight at the end of the day because right. some districts do a better job of that than others. What
0: do you think about the TEA's plan for what's effectively a statewide virtual school district? Right, the, you, you know what the TEA oh. has been moving toward. Is that consistent with the idea that what should work in one community may not work in another community?
1: Well, actually, the virtual school network. I had a bill last session to try to expand that, yeah. and COVID has shown that we have a lot of local districts now that want to do their own virtual school, yeah. and they're limited by the, the current law. So I think that bill is going to have a lot more wind behind it this time to get that done because school districts have seen this is a valuable thing. I mean, Clear Creek ISD here. I was just talking to my daughter-in-law, as a teacher. Yeah, at forty-something thousand students, they have a they have a virtual school within there, but they're not treated totally separate. And, and they think that'd be easier than having their, her, her as a math teacher, sixth grade, yeah. having to teach virtual as, as well as a classroom full of students. Why couldn't you give her virtual students to the virtual school and let them do their own yeah. thing over there, not have her doing both?
0: Now, of course, as you correctly point out, broadband is an issue for all of this. If we've learned anything during the pandemic, isn't it that we desperately need after years of talking about it, a statewide broadband plan.
1: Well, once again, we have it to the campuses, and now we've got to get it to the students at their homes, and that's right. That can be the most difficult part. We're, we're why? Well why is it going to be so? Why is it going to be so difficult? Well, you look at West Texas and some of these rural areas. it's just right. way out there, uh, and so well, getting in fact, it-
0: there's a Texas Tribune story today, just today, as it happens that says the state is cutting its subsidies to rural telecommunications providers that offer service in sparsely populated areas like West Texas. Why would the state in the middle of a pandemic cut subsidies to the rural telecoms when we know that we actually need to do work on this?
1: Well, that's another issue having to deal with broadband and and we'll be working on that this session. Uh, There's a lot of discussion on how it gets there, whether it's through those rural uh, cooperatives or some other plan. So that's certainly going to be discussed, but, I'm not sure that the rural cooperative and like, I don't plan, I claim to be an expert on this, but I've just heard some of the discussions that they may or may not be the best way to get it to those people versus some of the other providers.
0: You, you so, have a point of view personally about this. You say you're not really no. an expert on it. No, um, you, you also accept, I'm sure, that there's I, an ec- I, I do agree. We need to have it. We need. I we just, need to have it. So we need. I'm just need, not
1: sure the purveyor of that. Who that? Do
0: you, you think we'll come out of this session with a broadband plan? Yes. In law, signed by the governor, right? We yes. know that we need it.
1: I've heard a lot of discussion on this, particularly from rural members, and this is going to, something we're going to have to address, particularly right. in light of what we've just seen uh, through COVID. Once again, COVID, it's been an educational experience, as I've said, yep. but some yeah. of it's things we've learned we really have to do. Yep. And yeah. so I think we have a lot more you know, wind behind us, helping right. us move some of these things forward.
0: And like so many of the issues we've talked about today, Chairman, there's an equity part of this, non-white students, African-American Hispanic students have tended to see more learning loss. They've had less access to broadband, right? Generally speaking, the racial disparities that existed before the pandemic are more visible and more persistent in the middle of, in
1: the middle of all this, right? Yeah. Well, the connectivity gap, like I said, House Bill three was all about closing gaps and we get into COVID we go online and we've now got a whole nother gap we've got to deal with. So I was on the connectivity work group put together by the governor. We've made great strides in that and we have a good plan to get that done. But you know, uh, that's a work in progress, but we've made great progress yeah. already on
0: that. So so whether it's on virtual or on, you know, being able to attend school versus dropping out or on the broadband issue, you have thousands and thousands of students who over the course of these months away have struggled with academics, have struggled with special ed, struggled with mental health challenges during the pandemic I'm tempted to ask you about resources that may be available to help the school districts deal with those particular challenges. But of course, there is this $5.5 billion in federal stimulus money for K-12 education that is coming to Texas as a consequence of the December COVID relief bill. Do we have any idea yet what's going to happen with that money? Who's going to get it? How it's going to be spent? Do you have a point of view about this?
1: Well, obviously... Yeah, that's going to be discussed during session. Uh, I don't know exactly where it's going. some of it's already been accounted for, um, but it, you know, it's a welcome relief to have that. Right. Uh, but but we all we also had CARES funding that came in. We spent a lot True. of that on you know PPE devices. I mean, there's just a lot of things. We and the deadline for that money has
0: been extended as I understand it to spend it a longer, we, we, originally it had to be spent by the end of the year, but now that's been extended. So you have, you have some federal money in play.
1: Right? Yeah. And then that's, you know, that was the thing with the budget. It was kind of, everybody kept asking me how the budget's going to be this session of the unknown was a lot of it still what the feds are going to do on their, on their last stimulus bill, how much money is going to go to the States that can yeah. obviously help with a number of these issues. But, but like I say, I think we've made great progress on, on almost all those fronts. We still have ways to go, obviously, but, um, you know, those will all be discussed. The thing is, the beauty is we're now in session, you know, for a state that meets every other year. The COVID was very difficult uh, in the fact that it was happening while we were not in session. Yeah. And so being back now we're here we'll have an opportunity to work on those issues. Yeah, you think you you think happened.
0: you should have come back in last time in special last year in special session and de- deal with some of these issues. You know, all of us who are journalists wish you guys were here all the time, right? It's it's
1: <laughs> yeah, but, I love but, it. I know y'all love the entertainment. We we uh, do. <laughs> yeah, but, but you no. know it, once again we had people on the same spectrum 30 30 and 30 and uh I guess technically be 33 to 33, 33 but anyway, uh there were people who would not have come and I'm not sure if a good idea, you talk about a super spreader event, if we're in the middle of a big deal, you know, at that time we didn't know. Right. Well, of and course so I'm not,
0: I'm not convinced that the session right now is not a big super spreader event, but let's hope it isn't right. We'll yeah. see.
1: Well, and you know, like I say, we're we're being as careful as we can. I think the numbers are starting to go back down, but uh, yeah, anytime yep. you do it, but it, at the earlier in the, in the, this pandemic, we didn't know how bad it was. Uh, yeah. And so it's right. kind of hard to, you know, if it was Ebola, you know, that's why I'm saying we need to come up with a way of dealing with these kind of issues for the future, whether it's 20 years from now or 50 years from now. We need to have some things set up in the legislature that, that we can have some way to function without bringing everybody back together. Like say, if it's Ebola, I'm not all in for coming back. You're for not coming.
0: You're not gonna going to come back. Right. To, yeah, I'm not going to be back, back with 181
1: right. people hanging out together either. So. Right.
0: All right. So, speaking of being back, last question I want to ask you: Is Huberty going to be back as public ed chair? You know, I like it when the two two of you guys are together. You're so different. You're like the best '70s cop show ever. Uh, he's like <laughs> the flashy. He's the flashy guy. You're kind of like the serious guy. It's like a great pair. Well, seriously, I mean, you've already been renamed as chair, reupped as chair of um, of Senate Education, but we're waiting to see if Huberty's going to be back as House Public Ed chair. What do you know? What are you
1: hearing? Well, you're getting me into House politics, and I, I really, you know, I know better as a former House member, but correct, I'm sure that uh, Chairman Representative Huberty will be in some leadership role and it will not give up on his aspirations to make sure education for Texas students is the best it could be, and whatever role that is. But I, I don't know where that would be. I, you know, I think he would make a great chair. I know he's, he's proven himself as a chair. Yeah. Uh, but I, like I said, that's House politics. Uh, but I, I can assure you that Dan Huber is not going to quit on education. Got it.
0: All right, Chairman, thank you so much for your time. Good to talk to you today. You've been listening to Point of Order, a proud member of the Texas Tribune's family of podcasts. Thanks to our guest, State Senator Larry Taylor, and thanks to the sponsors of this episode QuaverEd.com, the Association of Texas Professional Educators. Harmony Public Schools, the Texas Classroom Teachers Association, and Raise Your Hand Texas. Be sure to check out the Tribune's deep coverage of the 87th legislative session at texastribune.org. And if you like what you see there or hear here, tell your friends about us. Until next time, I'm Evan Smith.